right, everybody, welcome into Concrete Jungle, a New York baseball podcast coming to you guys live from the FingerLakesOne.com studios, Sango Falls, New York, North Park building, third floor, Paul Russo, next to me, Kyle Evans, uh, Nate Sharman behind the scenes, as always, man in the cameras, man in the microphones, producing one hell of a product, I must say so myself. Uh, so, boys, a uh, big week of baseball here, um, a lot of interesting storylines, uh, Kind of weird how fall baseball and the stretch run work sometimes. Obviously, we have history to talk about. We have um, some corks that you only see in baseball pop up to get to. Uh, we even have a hurricane to kind of discuss that's playing a factor potentially here this weekend. Uh, so a lot to get to, but how's the week been so far for you guys? Yeah, it's been a pretty good week for me. Um, just kind of tired today, but I'm here. I'm excited what the Yankees are yeah. doing. But. Almost Friday. We're almost there, you know. For sure. About to cross that finish line. <laughs> Everything good over there with you, Nate? I know um, the Pirates, your your beloved Buckos, got another one of the uh, Yankee farmhands of, of really, I guess, the past decade pretty much, and he's made an immediate impact. Yep, Miggy Two Bags, Miguel Andujar. He's been, <laughs> he's been really great for the Pirates so yeah. far, and I think they're going to sneak under that 100-loss number, huh, Kyle? It's looking close. <laughs> yeah, little walk-up. Yesterday, they, they got 97 losses, six games left with the Pirates. So they go 4-2, and two and they sneak under that 100. Yeah. And they're 3-0 oh. with Miggy, I think. I believe so. Yeah. How about that? They just swept the, yeah, they swept the Reds, yep. yep. How about that? Maybe the, lucky, the, lucky, the uh, good luck charm, in a way. Lucky charms, magically delicious. Yeah, watch them sit on 99. <laughs> you should look at uh, O'Neill Cruz's slashing lines are unreal. He's batting the last like month or so. Yeah, I mean it's uh, we, batting like 280, we, 260. We, I mean we talked about it a couple days ago, me and you, Nate, and um, the fact that his average launch angle is two degrees is nuts. O'Neill cast, baby. I mean it's it's crazy. So, but uh, that's that's baseball, right? That's why we love it so much in a way. So, uh, let's jump right in. Obviously, we'll start with the Yankees, right? I think that's where really the focal point of baseball has been the past couple really weeks, justifiably so I think to many, uh, no matter really I guess what side of the the line you kind of stand on in the home run count, the true home run kings or, or where you kind of stand with that. So, uh, you know, obviously Toronto, tough place to play. They're, they're fighting for a playoff spot themselves. Uh, Start with Monday, a 3-2 loss in, in, in 10 innings to the Blue Jays. Tim uh, Meza uh, earned his eighth win on the year at the time. was 8-0 on the bullpen for Toronto, which is really crazy to me. 2-9-1 uh, ERA. Clark Schmidt took the loss, moves to 5-5 five and five at 3-3-5 ERA. Uh, Luis Severino, no decision, four innings, uh, three hits, two and four Ks. Still working him back in a little bit, working with a pitch count. That's actually what got him. It's not like he was pitching bad by any means, but he threw four innings. He was at, I believe it was already 75 pitches. Uh, so it was a pretty quick pitch count for him. IKF, one for three with a solo home run, a walk as well. Then uh, Gleyber Torres staying hot. We'll discuss that a little bit more here in a couple minutes. Uh, one for three with an RBI as well. So uh, not the ideal start uh, to the series, but I didn't think the Yankees necessarily played terrible Monday night in the slightest. No, not at all. I just It was a little concerning that they scored their first two runs, you know, in the first, I think, two innings it was, and then they didn't score again. And uh, Kiner Fluff actually kind of uh, led to that beginning for Toronto. He, it was a routine ground ball, should have been a double play, and he booted it. Yeah. Um, it seems like that's kind of been a thing that's happened a few times this year. Yeah. It's kind of the uh, – and it, it, it's funny you bring that up because we will obviously have to talk about this uh, a little bit when we get to what was last night's game. Uh, to a degree, kind of the, 
I wouldn't call it maybe basics, but certainly, you know, a little bit beyond fundamentals, but every big league ball player should should be well prepared and, and able to do kind of have, have sprung up within this series, oddly enough, a little bit, or at least have kind of showed its head again in a way. Uh, Tuesday was a 5-2 Yankee victory. Jameson Tyone picked up the win, 14-5 on the year now, 3-8-3 ERA. Jose Barrios took the loss for Toronto, 11-7 uh, record, a 5-3-7 ERA. Kind of crazy kind of seeing some of his numbers, uh, given that uh, yeah. really what he was with Minnesota. and what I, I still think he's a really great pitcher, but it's kind of wild looking at his numbers. Yeah, and I would then, say he's been kind of disappointing in yeah. Toronto. Oh, for sure. I think they've expected a little bit better than a plus five ERA. Just like Kikuchi, yeah. like he hasn't been what they thought they were going to get from him. Yeah, he's Kikuchi's been a little bit more banged up, though, at this point, but that's a completely different podcast that I'm sure Caleb would love to host if he were to come <laughs> back. So, uh, And then Lou Trevino picked up his 11th save on the year. So really good job. I know he's really picked up his performance as of late as well. Uh, anyway, though, Tyone, seven in a third inning, seven hits, two earned, and six strikeouts. Uh, really... Uh, we don't, I, you know, we talk about Tyone a lot, but it's a guy that we don't really talk about sometimes. But 14 and five, uh, obviously a sub four ERA. Uh, but these outings, man, they, he he goes a fairly long way in these games more times than not, and really can help save those bullpen arms when needed. Yeah, I think he's super underrated. I think just a lot of people don't know his name around the league. Um, he's probably because he's kind of been injured a lot over his uh, young career, but. Um, yeah, he's he's been a big part of what the Yankees are doing, and every time he goes out there, I feel like the Yankees have a really good chance of winning, and I think they have a really good record when mm-hmm. he starts, not just his win-loss record, because um, obviously there's some no decisions in there, but it seems like they win like a lot of games with him on, when he starts a game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in the game on Tuesday as well, Kyle Higashioka went 3-for-4, a double and two runs scored, and then Glaver Torres, 3-for-5, really generated a lot of the Yankee offense, collecting three RBIs along the way, so... Uh, Glaber continuing to be hot. Uh, we'll table that a little bit here uh, as we get to last night's game. An 8-3 Yankee victory. Uh, Garrett Cole takes the win, 13-7, and a 3-5-1 ERA. Tim Meza takes the loss, 8-1 his first on the year, as I mentioned from before, and a 3-2-8 ERA. Garrett Cole, 6-3, 3 hits, 3 earned, and 4 strikeouts. Uh, Hicks had a decent day at the dish, 3-for-3, three three, a walk and a run, but... Obviously, I bring up the, the fundamentals, or maybe just above, I had another pretty big uh, base-running blunder last night uh, that um, obviously, didn't, obviously didn't, it didn't have a big impact on the game itself, but certainly could have been. Uh, but obviously the main storyline, Aaron Judge, one for four, a walk, a home run that was a two-run shot, two runs scored, uh, but was number 61 on the year ties Roger Maris for the Yale record, the Yankee record as well, but um, finally gets a little bit of that monkey, I'd say, off the shoulder a little bit, a little bit of the weight off the shoulder, and this is where I really kind of want to dive into some stuff here because, um, look, I mean, Aaron Judge has been the, the guy for the Yankees all year. Um, uh, we, we talked about it, you know, earlier this week, obviously, with Alex Cora saying, yeah, even if he's not hitting home runs, he's that team's MVP. You look at what he does. I mean, you look at Tuesday's game, what he did on Tuesday, 0-for-1 with, with three walks. I mean, it, he's out here four walks, thank you, Nate. Uh, but he, he's, he's not out there to hit home runs. It's just that when you're a <laughs> – I feel like 6-7 is probably generous. 
guy who just is out here swinging a bat. I mean, yeah, you're going to have natural power and you're going to be able to do your thing. And, you know, he, he's had that stroke you see on the screen, I don't know how many different times who, who, to the folks who watch the podcast. And you know, for those listening, I mean, you know the swing anyway, but um, 61. It's nuts. That was his hardest hit ball all year, right? Hardest hit home run I, yeah. I saw? Yeah, it was like yeah. 117 points. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and um, I know, Nate, you pointed out earlier, at least to me, but uh, the guy uh, who missed it in Toronto, the fan, Frankie Lasagna. Pour one out for old Frankie. <laughs> That's probably a $2.5 million more than miss. That. I wish I had the video. I'd, he It bounces pretty close I'd, off his glove anyway. I'd say more than that. Yeah. I mean, I know, I, I can't remember what the Bonds ball went for, but I know the McGuire ball from 98 went for three mil. Yeah. I, I'm willing to bet this one goes if, for more. if a fan did catch that ball, it'd go for more than three. The uh, ball got back to Judge, right, Kyle? Yeah. yeah. They gave it to his mother after the game. That's cool. Yeah, I know the guy who caught it was uh, Matt Bushman, the bullpen coach for the Blue Jays. Um, Vanderbilt baseball legend, go Vandy boys. But, um, yeah, it, I, there's a lot of different aspects I want to kind of take here because not only do the Yankees clinch the AL East this past week, uh, Judge and, and then Judge gets a 60-person home run here. And obviously he still needs to get one more to break the record, right? He needs one more to get to 62. But, you know, one of the things that sticks out to me is, I guess, being, you know, a, a baseball savant historian the way I, I am, you know, the one thing that always sticks out to me that gets brought up is uh, Roger Maris being in what was oddly enough a week-long kind of slump, uh, similar to, I guess, Judge in a way when you think about it, to just tie Bate Roof's record at that point. And I think a lot of people forget kind of like the mental toll that can take on a guy. I'm not saying, I don't think Judge maybe gets affected as, as bad as maybe some. He's got a really great temperament, something that does not get discussed enough. But... It affects everybody, right? I mean, you can tell. I mean, it even changes the way pitchers pitch to you uh, with something online. You don't want to become the footnote, right, in in, in history. I, I jokingly brought it up on Fresh Takes yesterday, you know, and I know Nick didn't, I know Nate, you didn't, right, but nobody wants to be, you know, Blazik who gave up Bonds' 756, right? You don't want to be in your big league career. You don't want that to be, you know, that antidote for, for your big league career. Yeah, and now Tim Mays is going to be, you know, known forever for giving up this uh, home run. And to be honest, when it went off the bat, I knew he got, a, like, a good piece of it. But I thought it was actually going to hit the top of the wall. It was just a laser. Um, it got out in a hurry. Um, but, yeah, it was. I was super excited for him to finally get it. And you could just see how excited he was for it because, you know, he never admitted it. But I, pressure was definitely there. For sure. Um, and then, too, kind of couple with it, right? Obviously, the Yankees clinched the at least. Vibes are high from the night before. Um, really, again, I know we talk about Judge a lot. Uh, we've been giving props as best we can to guys like Cortez and Tyone, obviously Cole. But, you know, Glaber Torres continuing this hot streak. I mean, he was the guy really kind of pounding the drum on offense for the first couple games of the series. Yeah, I think I saw a stat. He's hitting 330 in the month of September. Mm -hmm. So he's been really, really good. Um, some people are saying the best stretch of his career, and that's saying something. Mm -hmm. Because in 2018, I mean, look, he, he had a great season as a rookie. Um, but I think in terms of just contact, he's finally, you know, just putting the ball and playing good things are happening. He's not trying to hit the home run. His approach is just different with two strikes. Mm -hmm. It's just good to see. 
Yeah, I think personally for me, and I, I don't know how you feel, I think this is, look, I was, I was calling for him to be traded in the offseason. I, I was. I mean, I, you can run the tape back on this back to April. I was saying that this is a guy the Yankees need to just move on from. But, um, look, I think he's earned at least, an, obviously, another year in New York. I, I want him back in pinstripes next year. Um, you know, I, I know he had some downstretch in the summer. That's baseball, right? Who, who doesn't have moments like that? But collectively, the season that he's had, I mean, it, it's hard to see the Yankees kind of where they are right now without Glaber peppered in along the way. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I thought for sure he'd be gone after his month of August. But September, I think, has definitely earned him another, at least another year. Yeah. Um, so, And he's still very young. That's what people forget. He's very, very young. Yeah. So hopefully uh, he continues his hitting into yeah. the postseason. And then obviously you mentioned, right, can't mention this a little bit of enough here, right, Yankees clinched AL East. 20th time they've done so in the divisional era, um, or well, the current divisional era, wild card era. Uh, this team, like, it's been fun. I mean, I we went into this season not kind of really knowing truly what to expect out of this team. I really didn't expect them to, to be the way that they were this year, and they went out and they, they really handled business um, to the point that I'm willing to say Anthony Rizzo for AL Manager of the Year. <laughs> that was fun to watch last night, and the Nestor Cortez getting on the bullpen phone. Um, just, it was just cool to see that they were having fun, and you know, still they still won the game. That was the best right. part. And that's the thing that's a, a big positive here, or net positive, kind of with the rest of the way, right? Is they're they're locked into the two spot. They can't go higher to one. They can't go lower to three. You're locked in. You have home field. You know what you have to do. Obviously, really, the only thing now is to make sure Judge gets to 62. But now you can really kind of relax, have a little fun. You kind of saw the lineup yesterday a little bit. You know, um, you know, a guy like Tim LaCastro has a full stretch run of a game that he's able to get out there and play. And he um, had like two hits, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, but we mentioned Hicks, right, and even though we had that blunder, right? I mean, that was still a, a really good game for him on offense. And the Blue right? Jays still had all their stars. Right. I mean, they're still, you know, trying to clinch. Right, so. they're still fighting for their own playoff spot. I mean, I know they're locked in right now if the season were to hypothetically end today, but they're locked into – or they're still locked into that playoff battle for the wild card. So, um, briefly though, mentioned on Monday, the Double A Somerset Patriots uh, for the Yankees were in the Eastern League Championship against um, my beloved Erie SeaWolves, and lo and behold, the Somerset Patriots come back, take both games at home in Somerset to take the Eastern League crown. Uh, combined no hitter yesterday to win fifteen nothing. And uh, the the uh, Martian, Jason Dominguez, hits home run from both sides of the dish in that game. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, this is a championship game, and they won 15-0. to zero. Like, that's crazy. And then a no-hitter on top of that. I know it wasn't uh, – I think the starter went eight innings. Yeah. So uh, then they brought – I don't know who they brought in um, after that. Um, but I'm surprised they didn't let him finish. I'd probably pitch count. But if he went eight innings, I would probably just let him roll. It's the last game of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why not? And, you know, it, it goes without saying, I know we, we talked about it a little bit, right, with the Mets with their single-way affiliate in St. Lucie who won the Florida State League crown. But that's big for some of these young guys, right? I mean, obviously, uh, it's kind of an underrated portion of baseball, right? I mean, obviously, minor league baseball is pro ball, but, you know, most of those guys really never see the big leagues. This is a big thing for some of them that they'll look back on fondly for, for years to come. And obviously, for the guys who do make it, you know, and I know we already have guys like, you know, I know he didn't win the championship with Somerset because he's up at Scranton, but, you know, guys like, you know, think of like a guy like Volpe 
or obviously Dominguez, Trey Sweeney is at double A, uh, Austin Wells is at double A, right? You know, guys that we pretty much have pencil in for the Yankee lineup here in the next year and a half to two years. Uh, you know, that's something that they can get used to and carry on, right? That's something that they can put in their Rolodex and be prepared for. Uh, whether, like I said, whether it's Somerset or St. Lucie, whatever team you're on who won that title, I mean, that's, that's big. That's a big confidence thing. That's a big thing for your own scouting reports to go forward with when you're put into situations as you climb that rung that you can rely back on and know that you can get situations in tough spots done. And the fact that they fell behind one, you know, one nothing in the series and it didn't bother them at all. They just, you know, fought their way back and won the series, I mean, 15 to zero. That's, that's incredible. So the Yankees off today, travel day for them. They have Baltimore this weekend. Baltimore still, uh, they're on the outside looking in. It's going to be a little bit tougher for them, I think, to get to the wild card. But nonetheless, they're still fighting for their playoff lives. They're four and a half back in the wild card. Um, Tough, tough scenes for you, Kyle, on, on Friday night, 7.05 first pitch. Good news, though. It's not going to be on yes, too. Oh, it is going to be on yep, yes. Yep, they announced okay. it last night. Because I know on the website they still only have it listed as Prime Video. So, so. my take on that is, like, why? Like, who's going to go to Amazon Prime if it's right. on yes? But I guess and they're going to do probably it. Probably some people who stream maybe. I don't know. But um, to be announced for Baltimore. Baltimore is to be announced across the board this weekend. Like I said, they, they actually are dealing with a couple different injuries. Uh which, look, fantastic for us as Yankee fans. I think the baseball fan me thinks it sucks. I mean, a guy like Tyler Wells is out, um, one of the brighter young pitchers. So uh, their their rotations have been limbo. So they're TBA across the board Friday through Sunday. The Yankees, though, Friday will be Domingo Herman, 2-3, and three, a 3-3-0 ERA. On Saturday, a 105 first pitch on yes. It's going to be Nasty Nestor, 11-4, a 2-5-6 ERA. And then on Sunday, a 135 first pitch on yes. It will be Luis Severino, 6-3. A 3-4-1 ERA, the last home regular season game for the Yankees on the year there. So, um, obviously, I think with Judge still needing to get to 62, I think we'll probably see, if not a traditional lineup, something like the Rizzo lineup yesterday where it's not much overall kind of is really changing. I think if Judge comes out of the gate on Friday and gets 62, I think that's where on Saturday and Sunday and probably even the Texas series next week, a little bit, you'll probably see a little bit of change in the lineup. You'll probably see a few extra days off for you know guys like Judge, Stanton, Torres, uh, you know the guys who you know have really kind of been kind of chugging away all year. Rizzo as well, obviously, uh, but that will provide opportunity. I mean, DJ LeMay, who should be back, I think here. I don't know if it'll be Friday. Will be officially tomorrow, you think? Or? Yeah, that's what Boone said okay. yesterday. So, you know, we probably see at least LeMahieu get some action just to get him back going. But I would anticipate, hopefully, if Judge gets it done earlier, the better. Um, don't know if the Yankees get a sweep necessarily because of that reason. I'll, I'll go two for three on the series. Yeah, I'd probably say two of three, too. Um, I, I, we obviously just don't know who's playing and who's pitching for the Orioles, but they should at least win the series. Yeah. All right, let's transition over to the Mets. They've had their own um, interesting week, to put it. Lightly, I suppose. Uh, they split the series with Miami. Tuesday was a 6-4 loss from the Mets. Pablo Lopez picked up the win, moves to 10-10 on the year, a 3-9-0 ERA. Carlos Carrasco takes loss from the Mets, moves to 15-7, a 3-9-5 ERA. Dylan Floro, the save for Miami, his eighth on the year. Pete Alonso, 1-4, a home run, a 3-RBI shot. Uh, Francisco Lindor, 1-4 with a double on a run scored. And Jeff McNeil, 2-4 with a run scored. 
really circle back to the Alonzo thing here in a couple minutes, obviously, because that was his 40th home run on the year. But uh, this game marred with some controversy, which, again, we'll also dive deeper in with a couple minutes. Uh, but, uh, you know, we kind of figured this was a game that, or a series that the Mets needed both from. They end up splitting, and they got off a little bit on the wrong foot. It kind of left a bad taste in the mouth even with yesterday's game. Yeah, they're they're honestly lucky to get a split. Um, I don't know. This I feel like against bad teams, they just they're a different team. They beat good teams and they struggle against the bad teams. I don't know what it is. I mean, they even do it at home. This this the series was at home. Um, I don't I, I don't I don't know what to take away from like this series. They have a they, you do bring up a point. They kind of have a neck, kind of like playing to their opponent's level in a way. It kind of reminds me of what the Yankees used to do. I think it was like last year. They mm-hmm. was t- they were terrible against bad teams. Yeah. So yesterday, Wednesday, a 5-4 Met victory in 10 innings. Drew Smith takes the win, moves to 3-3 three three on the year, a 3-4-5 ERA. Dylan Floro took the loss for Miami, 1-3, a 3-0-8 ERA. Top performers, Tama Walker, no decision, 5 innings, 6 hits, 3 earned, 2 walks, 8 Ks. A really good start for Walker. He's been having a really nice stretch run of these uh, and really put left the Mets in a spot to at least keep fighting uh, to get uh, back in the game. Jeff McNeil, 2-4, for four, a walk and a run scored. And... Eduardo Escobar, who I saw on Twitter, somebody called it the Eduardo Escobar game. Look, he's had a lot of these games this year where he's really plugged this team along and kept it going in games. Three for five, home run, all five RBIs coming off the bat of him, including the walk-off single in the 10th inning and a run scored. Uh, so, again, you know, I, we, we talked about him actually probably two or three weeks ago more in depth, but Eduardo Escobar really is offensively – because, you know, we talked a lot about, obviously, Alonzo and Lindor and McNeil, Nimmo, really, at the start of the year. But, you know, Eduardo Escobar really is one of these guys for the Mets that have offensively kept this train going during spots where, like you said, Kyle, they just kind of play to whatever level their opponent is. Yeah, and, I mean, they didn't score until the 7th. Uh, I just think it's crazy that he put them on the board in the 7th, mm-hmm. tied the game in the 8th, and gave them the win in the 10th. Like, that's uh, – he just took over the game. Like, he just carried the team. It was – he's just an underrated guy that – just people need to start understanding that he's very good. He's a great hitter, um, especially with contact. He just puts the ball in play and good things happen. He's a tremendous bat. He really is. I mean, this is something that we picked up on if you're a baseball guy, right, with, with his career in Arizona, obviously with the Braves the second half of last year. Um, and he's continued on. I, I, I really hope for the sake of – I think the Mets clubhouse and the team, you want to give a guy like Ventios a shot. Ventios is the third baseman of the future for the Mets. Really, Brett Beatty is probably. But um, I think for the sake of the clubhouse, you need to keep a guy like Eduardo around anyway. He's a great clubhouse presence and a great bat. I don't know if that means he turns into your DH. He can play a couple other positions pretty much anywhere in the infield he can play. But he's primarily third baseman. So hopefully they figure out. I know he's got one more year left on his current contract that he signed in the offseason was a two-year deal so um, really I mean he, he he is willing this team along at this point yeah he's, def- some point, he's anyway. definitely got to be in the lineup whether you know it's at third or DH um, it's kind of like Lemay with the Yankees just a perfect contact hitter that you need mm-hmm. in the lineup every day yeah let's dive in now with the uh, Pete Alonzo obviously 40 home runs kind of got swept under the rug obviously with the home run chase of Aaron Judge but Pete getting the 40, uh, I guess in a way a number that we'd hoping to see back to his rookie year a few years ago that he hasn't fully returned to 
that's some people's size anyway. Uh, to me, this is better than his rookie year. I, I think he's been way more consistent. I think you've seen a, a better Pete Alonzo this whole year. Um, to me, if it probably isn't for Paul Goldschmidt at this point, he'd be your front runner for MVP borderline in a way. Um, the stuff that uh, the stuff that he's done, right? He's one of those spotlight headline guys from the Mets that keeps it going. But really, you look at what he's done. He's always really, obviously, doing the power work. But he's learned to hit for contact now, as opposed to just for power. And I think that's really where you see, right? His average is up again. Obviously, home runs. He's back to the 40 mark. He's already back to 130 plus RBIs. I mean, this is going to be the guy for the Mets again moving forward that let alone this season, but future teams and future seasons here should be beating that drum along. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, he's just, he seems like he's a contributor almost every night. Um, obviously, he does have a couple stretches where, you know, he might not be able to contribute, but... But who doesn't? He's still that guy that, like, he's still there. He's still playing. Um, that's, the, that's the biggest thing. I feel like um, he's always in the lineup. He's never hurt. Um, he's just reliable, and that's what you want. You want reliable guys that are going to be in the lineup, and he's definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, he really is one of the clubhouse leaders, too. I think, you know, when you when you talk about a guy who um, – he's he's really good with the media, for one, and that helps. He's, he's a young guy who, who really understands how to kind of deal with it. Uh, he's a lot like, I guess, Aaron Judge in nature in that sense. They both kind of came up. Judge was a couple of years before Pete – but, you know, similar timeline, similar, really similar players in a lot of ways. Pete, um, Pete's, you know, definitely on the quieter side of things. I think maybe a tick louder than Judge, but it's not like that's saying a ton. Uh, but um, he's a fun guy to watch. He really is a fun guy to watch. I mean, he's the polar bear for a reason. Yeah, the, I think the only, like, real difference with them is, like, for, like, a, you know, like, character-wise is, like, he seems like Alonzo reacts more on the field yeah. and like gets into more of yeah. stuff. Where Judge literally puts his head down after he gets right. a home run. Like he just, he, Judge to me is just a, a different player in the entire league. Nobody hits a homer and just puts their head down right. and runs. When Aaron Judge hit that one last night, he like sprinted. The well, first like probably. Well, I think that probably. But well, that brings up the point though that Maybe I think Kyle brought up earlier, right? I mean. He, that thing was about as laser shot as he probably has hit one all year. Right, but you, I'll see a lot of guys hit it that way. They know they hit it that hard off the bat. You know, they're not. Mm-hmm. It's not a hard night. It happened the other night they're with Teoscar like Hernandez. He right. thought it was gone, and he just yep. literally watched it. Pretty yeah, cool. that's true. I mean, I'm, I, Josh I don't, Donaldson. I don't, I don't disagree with what you guys are saying, but, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I've always said if I were to hit a home run in, in real life and know it was a no-doubter, I'd, I would probably be arrested for some crimes. Like... <laughs> Like, oh, I if know, I had a no doubter, I would be, I'd be going so slow, I'd be going backwards. I mean, I'd, yeah, I mean, I'd be, I would try. I'd be moonwalking to second base, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't bat really, flipping everything, pretty I, much. Yeah. I, I don't think bat flips matter. I could care less right. what the guys do it. But if you don't know it's gone, I hate like Josh Donald sitting there mm-hmm. watching the ball. Like you have to make sure you really right. got it. Right. All right, let's uh, move on to I guess some. Um, I don't know if I consider them slightly serious matters. I do want to take a look, I guess, on the more comedic side of one first. Uh, and this one has, to, I guess, to do more with the Marlins, actually, here with the pitcher Richard Blyer uh, getting called for a balk on three consecutive pitches. Um, this is, uh, it, it's weird. I, I, it, it <laughs> I think this was a bit of an ump show situation, again, um, that 
he made an adjustment and it wasn't clear enough or obvious enough that the umpires kind of did it again. But even then, I don't see where he balked at all. I know he, he, he I wouldn't say it's quick with his set, but he's a quick moving pitcher. Um, doesn't have a ton of movement with his uh, delivery. A lot of ways it kind of remind me in a way of, and this is really going into the, the deep, deep history book in a sense, as, as Nate would call it anyway. Uh, but uh, Mark Burley and Joe West for a number of years did not like each other at all. I know they still don't, but uh, <laughs> where Joe West would pretty much be calling Burley on box left and right. And I know what one, one game in Cleveland in particular just really took off to a point that you had both of them trying to fight each other. And, and to prove how far back this was, I mean, Isaac Guillen was still manager of the White Sox. But um, it reminded me a lot of that where I, I couldn't see where the box were. Yeah, and it wasn't the stat that Blyers never balked in his right. career. Yeah, he's And he's more balked. of a veteran pitcher, so he's been around. And, I mean, I think what umps have seen him, you know, throw off the mound so like I don't know why like this game is different and that was a good crew too I mean I, I know we we talk about you know guys you don't want to be named you know whatever but like I know like jump Jeff T or Johnson Payne was the first base on in that game and he was home play yesterday but I mean that's a good crew Tom Payne's on one of the better crews in the big leagues so I don't know if what the deal was I I, I know we talked about it a little bit right on Monday about the umps and and <laughs> they're they're kind of discretions this past year, but um, particularly like guys like Angel Hernandez, but I, I don't know. I, like I said, I didn't see anything that said that was a balk. I mean, I'm not going to say or deny maybe the first one was was or wasn't. Uh, clearly, there might have been something, but uh, really the back-to-back the -back ones after that, obviously they're all back-to-back-to-back, -to -back -to -back, but the, the, the final two were, I, I didn't see anything. And, and at that point, kudos to, to Don Manningly. I, I mean, this is a guy obviously on the way out in Miami, um, but stand up for his guys in a heartbeat minute clearly here and, and not going to take any crap from an umpire. Yeah, I saw the first one and I was like, you know, like, wow, like he balked. And then I find out after the game, because I wasn't paying attention after that, that he did it two more times. I'm like, what? How is that possible? I've never seen that before. Yeah. So then I watched the replay and, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see really much there. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Let's uh, let's hop back on the Mets train here. Big series coming up in Atlanta this weekend. But uh, Hurricane Ian, now Tropical Storm Ian, proving to be a bit of a havoc causer. The Mets uh, off today to travel to Atlanta. But uh, through the course of, you know, figuring out what to do here, offered Atlanta, they could have moved their game against Miami yesterday to four traveled overnight, get to Atlanta today, play what would be, I believe, technically Saturday's game today, Friday, off Saturday, Sunday. Atlanta says no, they're going to stick with the plan. Now the contingency plan is both have a mutual off day on Thursday, October 6th, which is the last day of regular season games that they'd make a game up. I would be okay so, with that. Yeah, Saturday's still pretty hairy weather-wise. It's a tough spot. I don't understand at this point in the year why the Braves are taking such a stance, I guess, in a way, uh, on this. I, I don't know why. I, it's This is a hurricane. This is a, the first time in, in my memory, and obviously stuff like this is not, I wouldn't say it's a rare, but it doesn't happen every year. I know for me a lot of times the ones that stick out are games in Miami or Tampa that they need to move, and every time – 
people are pretty teams are pretty accommodating to, to get things figured out right obviously you don't want to be trapped in a situation and you know where, where a hurricane or the tropical storm is still coming through i mean tropical storms are still very havoc wreaking very dangerous potentially that you know they don't want to put their players their staff their their families in tough spots i'm, I'm kind of surprised really Atlanta took such a hard stance on this uh, this late in the season. For me, it probably all comes down to some money situation that, you know, the TV networks, right. moving the game to I a mean, different day. Saturday's game is scheduled to be on Fox. So, I don't know. I just It seems like everything comes down to money, and it probably is money. But, yeah, I was kind of surprised I didn't want to move it either. But I would love Thursday, that mutual off day, the final, or the final game, uh, of uh, the regular season while well, it's like a makeup day yeah. um you know how about braves and mets on that day for the division you know the only game of the day i think that would be cool right. to watch yeah i mean it's it's i mean it's possible it still happens i know saturday's weather now i looked at it before we went live not not as bad but it's still projected to be like a 50 50 shot more or less if the game gets in uh so i, I don't know it's an interesting heel turn moment uh take this time to say hopefully if you're watching or listening and you're down in the path hopefully everything is going all right we're thinking of everybody down there i know i mentioned yesterday on fresh takes uh, but like i got family friends down that way and i know they're 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 doing all right they made it through uh down the tampa bay area but i know a lot of people from this area have family down there relatives uh, friends snowbirds even uh so hopefully everybody uh is doing all right hanging tough and uh We'll get through this. So the Mets and the Braves, obviously off today. Mentioned that tomorrow. This is a really good pitching series, people. Tomorrow night, 7:20, first pitch on SNY. Jacob Degrom, five and three, a 2.93 ERA. He'll be going against Max Fried, a 13 and seven record, a two and a half ERA. Saturday, 7:20, scheduled first pitch on Fox. Max Scherzer, 11 and four, a 2.13 ERA, against Kyle Wright, a 20 game winner this year. 20 and 5, a 318 ERA, and then Sunday night baseball on ESPN, 708 first pitch. Chris Bassett, 15 and 8, a 327 ERA versus Charlie Moore, 9 and 6, a 429 ERA. Uh, Mets currently sit one whole game above the Braves. This is perhaps, really to me, it is the biggest Mets series on the season. Ooh, I don't know what I'm thinking here. <laughs> Tough call. It's a tough call. This this series, to me, this series really does determine the division. I got the Braves two of three. Ooh. They don't give DeGrom run support. Uh-huh. Wright's very good. I think the Sunday game is the game that the Mets win. I'm going to disagree. I'm going Mets two of three. Atlanta just, they, they have moments of, of laps sometimes. I just don't get it. I know the Mets do too, but... To go back to my theory of playing to their competition, they play to their competition this weekend. I think they go two of three. Yeah, I don't think we'll see a sweep either way, but right, um, it'll be a good series for sure. For sure. All right, before we head out of here for the weekend, let's talk uh, some minor league baseball. The Rochester Red Wings and Syracuse Mets have wrapped up their seasons. Uh, the Red Wings finished with a record of 67-81, eighth in the International League East. They were 18 games back. Syracuse Mets, 64-85, and 85, ninth in the year, National League East, 21 and a half games back. Um, both teams, different seasons, uh, really, I guess, different storylines for them on the year. 
Uh, I, I want to dive more deep into this uh, next week, uh, more or less once, you know, more awards kind of get out and stuff like that. But um, tail of two seasons really in Rochester, right? Start off really good out of the gate. Horrid month of June sets them back. Uh, but really finish the season at, on a pretty good note, all things considered. Um, with a lot of good good young guys on that team that I don't know if they'll necessarily be in Washington next year or be back in Rochester, but, you know, really good guys on that team. And to me, you know, you look at impact guys and it's start off the year, right, with a guy like Luis Garcia gets called up at that point, right? And you look around and, you know, kind of a few weeks later, a guy like Jake Luke comes up and really just, plugs that offense in and does a really great job pushing forward. Andrew Stevenson there all year. Dad Power does great. Uh, Nate, your guy, Nikki Banks, another one of those guys. And then the tough spot, right, bullpen. But you had guys there all year. To me, like a guy like, you know, Baldonado, who a great arm of the bullpen, a veteran guy in the bullpen who just enjoys at this point going out and playing ball, I think. Um, to me, a guy who probably could make a, a big league difference. But... He's been at Rochester in the past few years, and he's done a really great job. Yeah, I think the offense, honestly, wasn't really the biggest issue all year. I just think the the pitching, just all the moving parts, yeah. um, kind of the, the middle relief guys in the pen struggling, um, the back end sometimes struggling. I don't know. I just I don't think – I don't. Th I think the the offensive side of the ball. They had really good players all year. I mean, you just mentioned them all. They had great seasons, uh, especially Jake Lou. I think that's how you say his name. Yep. Um, I think he was the biggest surprise. I mean, he contributed every single night after he came up. Every time I wrote a recap, I was putting his name in it. He was contributing some way. It was just really crazy to see him come up from Double A and play that well. Yeah. Then on Syracuse, right? I mean, they just got off to a really bad start, but uh, kind of was able to to get themselves you know, figured out there for a while. And, you know, to be fair, if it wasn't really for, for April, it, 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 this team's probably looking at about a fourth or fifth place finish in the IL East. Um, you know, they had to deal with a lot of roster stuff, uh, borderline more than what Rochester even had to deal with in certain situations. Uh, but you look at the call-ups, you look at, you know, I mean, really, especially the final few weeks, Francisco Alvarez obviously did a really great job. Uh, but you look through really that team and, and guys who, whether they were just passing through or were there for a while, you know, guys like Connor Gray um, end up being like guy like Bryce Montes de Oca, Colin Holderman when he was still with the Mets, did fantastic jobs. And then, you know, look, there's other guys too that kind of just went up, down potentially, but, but end up making an impact, right? Mark Ventios, Dom Smith ended up on a really good note, Travis Jankowski, um, you know, guys who all, you know, MLB veterans now at this point, besides Ventios and, and Gray, and I'll mention them a little bit, but, you know, all MLB veterans who they're looking for their next shot, and they kind of proved themselves and did a really fantastic job. Yeah, um, I think what really killed Syracuse was that slower start. Um, they started to play better in the middle of the summer. Um, but, yeah, I think the difference in their record was from their start, and, I remember their offense just got off to a really bad start. Um, remember you mentioning early on in the first few podcasts that their leading hitter was like hitting 200 or yeah. something. Yeah, and I forgot to mention Daniel Palka. Yeah. You know, he, he really was the guy kind of driving the force on offense. Yeah, so just that slow start I think really made their record look the way it is. I don't think they would have been a playoff team if they didn't have a slow start. But, but like I said, I think they kind of finished certainly 
four spots better than they did. Yeah, I think if you chop off the first like couple months yeah. and look at their record, they're a better team. Yeah. So like I said, we'll we'll dive more in depth with them once you know team awards fully come out for both and, and minor league awards come out for both, um, and we'll dive really deep into what we kind of you know saw from the season with some of these guys and do some deep dives. So. A uh, lot to look forward to this weekend for our major league teams, the Yankees and the Mets. Uh, that pretty much wraps it up for today. Any uh, big plans this weekend, Kyle? Nope, but I have a prediction to make. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Judge will hit two home runs Friday night oh, in the Bronx. Get to 63 then. Yep. All right. Nate, anything uh, big this weekend or just hanging out and doing doing whatever you do? Yeah, just I think playing some golf on Saturday, hanging out with some friends, that's about it. Uh, one more thing on the Rochester front. Sure. They released something, you know, in the last half hour. So they spent 41 days in first place this year. Yeah. 36 different players played for both the Red Wings and the Nationals, including four players who made their major league debuts. That's, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, one guy we forgot to highlight, I think, Joey Manessis. Yeah, I mean, Manessis and Palacios. This I morning mean, I was, yeah. you know, having my coffee, having my breakfast, and watching SportsCenter Top 10 plays, yeah. and Joey Manessis was on there. I made a great play at third last night. Yeah, so. I mean, Manessis, Palacios, I uh, forgot to mention him as well. So, yep. uh, And even guys who were who kind of were brought in by the Nationals at depth piece and then getting called up. I mean, Alex Call comes to mind a little bit. Um, you know, he spent probably, I think, about a week or so in Rochester before getting called up, but it was one hell of a productive week. I mean, I think he was batting almost 400, so... Mm-hmm. Um, really just a job well done and plenty of positives to see. I mean, I know Rochester uh, and Syracuse um, are kind of like really long-lasting stalwarts in AAA baseball. So, And we got to uh, both stadiums this year, which is also we good. Did. We did, so uh, plenty to look forward to for next summer. Can't wait for it already. <laughs> All right, everybody, Concrete Jungle, New York Baseball Podcast. You can watch live anytime. Uh, for, well, watch us live on YouTube. Catch up anytime on YouTube. Also see us on Anchor, Spotify, and other major podcasting platforms. Until Monday, have an awesome week, and we'll talk to you then.